At this time, we're going to take a quick stretch break. Don't go far, but I want to encourage you to say hi to the person around you. And while that is happening, our flight attendants are going to come by and distribute boxes of lo mein noodles to everybody. You're all going to be given Chinese food and chopsticks, and I'll explain why in just a moment. But everybody, take a three-minute stretch break. Ready, set, go. You can go ahead and eat your noodles, too. They're, they're not going to get any warmer. There's chopsticks. Uh, I think we have forks, too. Do we have forks? for the? Not everybody's a, a pro. Part of the reason I wanted you to eat noodles is uh, we're starting a series today that's based on the book of James. It's called Embodied Faith. James is about practical wisdom. It's about don't just listen to the word of God, but do it. Apply it in your life. Um, a lot of what we do in worship is already embodied when you think about it. There are things that we cannot do without using our physical bodies. We sing songs of worship, use our voices. Um, we sometimes clap, we, we lift our hands, we, we worship God with our bodies. Each week when we sit around the communion table, we eat the bread, the body of Christ. We drink the cup, the, the blood of Jesus. That's something that we do with our bodies. We could think about it, just like we could think our way through the songs, and I suppose that's not, not worship, but it's an embodied faith. James is going to encourage us to have an embodied faith. Um, and that involves our fingers, the things we touch, the things we smell. It smells like Chinese food in here now, you guys. We're, we're experiencing that. This is a reminder, a little bit of an illustration to have an embodied faith. And I'll talk a little bit more about this in just a minute. When I told, I went to the benevolence group uh, who writes cards twice a month over in the Family Life Center on Mondays. This past week, I went over there and I said, I missed you guys. I've been gone. I'm excited to be back this Sunday. We're starting a new series in the book of James. I'm not kidding. They sounded like a bunch of teenagers because they went, yes. I said, the book of James. They went, yes. And they looked at each other with excitement. Several people said, I love the book of James. It's my favorite. There was an enthusiasm. And I've, I've told a few other people, like, ah, we're, we're studying James. They go, ah, I love James. And I love James as well. It is, if you're not familiar with the New Testament book of James, it's almost at the very end, like five or six chapter, or books of the Bible away from Revelation. It's only five chapters long, like, ready? My Bible is uh, over 1,100 pages, and James takes up three of them. Like, it's, it's these two pages. You could sit down and you could read the book of James in about 15 minutes if you're not reading fast. It's quick. It's wisdom literature. If you don't know who James was, James, there's, there's actually a lot of guys in the New Testament named James, so it can kind of be confusing, but James is the brother of Jesus. And Jesus had brothers, Joseph and James, and um, not many people realize that, but we learn that from stories in the Gospels. And if you read the book of Acts, you see James, after Jesus' death and resurrection, G James becomes a leader in where the church got started, in Jerusalem, like the mothership, one of the biggest Christian churches of the time, was in Jerusalem, and the leader who's there making decisions along with Paul and Peter, and like, are we going to include the Gentiles, are we going to not, was James. Go read Acts 12, read Acts chapter 15. James is there. So he was the brother of Jesus. He became a church leader in the early church, 
And we need to remember that he was Jewish, just like Jesus was Jewish, just like Peter and most of the guys from the start were Jewish. So he kind of, when you read the book of James, it reads a lot like a rabbi giving you lessons, giving you wisdom. And people who have studied the book of James have pointed out, James is kind of like a commentary on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you're familiar with Jesus' teaching in, in the Gospel of Matthew, he has five sermon sections, and the first of which is he's up on the mount, he sits down like a rabbi would do. People stand and listen, and for Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus teaches, and he gives practical wisdom. And he kind of transforms some of the understanding that people would have had of the Old Testament law. Jesus basically takes laws that were given to Moses and the Israelites that we read about in Leviticus 19, 20, 21, and up to 22. Jesus is commenting on Torah in the Sermon on the Mount, giving the Pharisees and the people of his time a new understanding. And James, if you follow all the different sections and all the little bits of wisdom that we can apply in our lives as an embodied faith, you see that what James is doing is kind of just reiterating and encouraging people to follow what Jesus already said to do. James is wisdom literature. It reads a lot like Proverbs. You know, this is a wise saying. If you live like this, then you're blessed. Then God is honored. Then, then your life will be better than if you don't. So it's like Leviticus. It's like the Sermon on the Mount. It's like Proverbs. There's just some good wisdom in here. It's very practical. Go and do this. As I was thinking about this, all right, we're going to, in our Sunday morning time together, I usually get up and I talk for, you know, 20 30 plus minutes. But one of the things that James says is the wisdom that comes from heaven, the wisdom that comes from Jesus, the wisdom I'm going to give you in these three short pages is not just something you should hear and then forget, like a person who looks at their face in the mirror and, and then immediately turns away and forgets what it is they saw. He's like, don't do that. What you need to have is an embodied faith. And so what I'm kind of doing right now is what James says not to do, which is I'm, comment I'm commenting on James, which is already a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, which is in some ways a commentary on the Torah. And you can listen to what I have to say, and you can go to lunch, and you can comment about it, or you can go and tell somebody, you can comment. Like, I had to ask myself this question, at what point are we as followers of Jesus going to stop commenting on what we should be doing and actually go out and do it? And that's the challenge for me and this series. And it's one that I, I, I've come up with a couple answers, ways that we can approach this. That's kind of the big thing that I want to draw our attention to today is this isn't just going to be like good thoughts for you to embroider on pillows and put on refrigerator magnets and post on social media. This is, these are words of life, and if we embody them, they'll transform our lives. I just want to read you one verse from James today. We'll, we're going to let it guide us throughout. There'll be a different focus each week on some practical things we can do, but this morning, I just want you to hear James 1, 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. I wonder what that means. I have this up on the screen too, uh, Gabe and Molly, if you guys want to throw this up there. 
There it is. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just listen, but do. James is about doing. One person, one commentator said that James is the bossiest of all the books of the Bible. <laughs> I like that. It's the bossiest. And they even, I, I found this, this website where they, uh, they took all the commands of Scripture. You know, if you think about which books of the Bible have a lot of do this, do this, you should do this, instead of just, you know, here's a story about a king or whatever. It's like, no, do this. You might think of Psalms, you know, worship the Lord, praise his name, give thanks. You might think of Exodus or Leviticus and the, the, the places where we have the law. Don't kill people. Honor your father and mother. Don't commit adultery. All that stuff. There's a lot of commands. But somebody went and said, all right, in terms of command density, James is the densest. It has the most commands of all the books in the Bible per capita, so to speak. So like it's 108 verses in the book of James, and there's 61 imperatives. 61 times there's a command given with an action verb that we are supposed to then say, okay, he means business. He's not just saying, hear this, think about it. It's a do book. Go and do this. James uses imperative verbs like ask, be, boast, say, listen, speak, act, look, show, lament, humble yourself, strengthen, be patient, call, sing, pray, and confess, just to name a few. James expects us to do the things that, not just what he says I'm trying to do, but the things that Jesus commanded his followers to do. So that should be encouraging to us. But here is where uh, a bit of a problem can lie. Sometimes it can be overwhelming. If it just takes you 10 minutes and you get 61 imperative verbs, like, oh, that's a lot. I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to live this. But there's a, a lot of wisdom there. If I try to do it all at once, you may experience kind of an overload or a fatigue in trying to do what's right. Sometimes we have this perspective, if we don't get it all right in the first try, we might as well not even try to do any of it. One failure means total loss. Tell me this, have you ever had, looked at your schedule and felt overwhelmed with all the things you have to do? Your, your reminders list on your phone or your to-do list and say like, oh, I don't know how I'm gonna get all this done. Sometimes we can look at that and just go, I know that I need to just do one thing and then do the next thing and do the next thing, and eventually that list will shrink and it'll go away or repopulate or whatever. But sometimes we look at that list and it makes us want to do none of it. Just that overwhelming feeling like I can't climb that hill, so why even take the first step? I don't want us to do that with James. It can be like drinking from the fire hose, like, ah, too much, I'm not, I'm not able enough. So what I want us to do in this series is kind of just take it one thing at a time, one command at a time. I think maybe that's what James had in mind for us. I don't know if you're familiar, there's another James that I learned about recently, and you may already know. It's called the James Webb Space Telescope. Gabe, I got a cool animation that I pulled out online. You guys can take a look at this. So a couple years ago, uh, NASA and you helped by paying taxes. We spent uh, almost $10 billion creating a space telescope that is going to be able to see farther and more clearly deeper into space than ever before in human history. It's really a remarkable thing. 
It took years and years to design and test. And here's the thing, they only got one shot at this. Uh, as you can see, there's a lot of moving parts. There's the sun shield with its tensioners. There's thin, fragile parts. There's like mirrors that could break. Uh, and all of it, because they're sending this telescope so deep into space, if something goes wrong, if something doesn't cue, like if a, if a command is given and the, the arm doesn't extend out the way that it's supposed to, we can't just send astronauts and technicians up to fix it. Back in 1993, they sent the Hubble telescope in the Earth's orbit, and they got it up there, and they went, uh-oh, it's out of focus. <laughs> we can't see anything, whoops. So then they spent a bunch more money, and they sent people up there in spacesuits, and they fixed it, and oh, good, it works again. That was nice, because you don't want to lose the whole mission. The James Webb Space Telescope was sent into the sun's orbit. If the Hubble Space Telescope was less than 1,200 miles from the Earth's surface, the James Webb Space Telescope is almost a million miles from the Earth. If something goes wrong, we cannot send people up there to fix it. It's just broken. There's a thing called a single point failure in the James Webb Space Telescope. That means that if one thing goes wrong, then the whole mission is scrapped, we can't see into space, all of that was for nothing. And they calculated that the way they designed this space telescope, it has 344 potential single point failures. Which means that at some point along the way, you can get 100 things right, and then if this one thing goes wrong, it doesn't matter. It's all for nothing. The concept of a single point failure uh, is a really crucial thing. And by the way, if you're worried about the James Webb Space Telescope, it's up there now, working the way that it's supposed to. Yay! <laughs> it like surpassed all of those single point failures. Whew, thankfully, because I don't know if they would have built another one. People would have gone, oh, that wasn't worth it. We're just gonna fail again. That is kind of like how we can feel about our faith. We think a single point failure means I shouldn't try anymore. James is not about like, get it all right, get all 344 things right, and then God loves you, or then you're on your way to following Jesus. These are not single point failures, and so I don't want us to be discouraged. But what I want us to do is just take each week, we're going to focus on one thing, and we're going to focus on it together. It might be, James says, real clear and easy to understand things like, don't slander people. Stop talking behind people's backs. And we go, okay, I know what that means. So this week, I'm going to go, do I do that? Ooh, do I listen to that more than maybe I should? That's kind of what I'm thinking. Not, there's a lot of other things that we can do, and it is a cumulative effect, but just focusing on these things one at a time and realizing that one thing is not going to spoil the whole effort. I want us to be encouraged by the things that we hear, to go and live them and be transformed into the image of Jesus. Now let me go back to my... Chinese food box again. It's an embodied faith. It's one that we put into practice in our daily lives. I want you to think about a Chinese restaurant that you might have gone to. You're like, what are we going to eat tonight? Let's go get Chinese food. So you drive to a place, you walk in the doors, there might be people who are from China. There might be Chinese characters on the menu. They obviously serve Chinese food. That's why you're back. That's why you, you, you went there in the first place. The art on the wall might be Chinese. Uh, the people cooking the food and serving the food may speak Chinese. It's, a, it's, a, it's an experience in Chinese culture. And you go there 
and you eat your Chinese food, and you say, man, that was good. And then you get in your car, and you drive back home, where it's maybe not quite like that. You don't eat as much Chinese food. You eat more sandwiches and things like that. I wonder if, in a similar way, James is encouraging us not to just go to the church where there's crosses on the wall and where we speak the Christian language and we hear the words and we go, yeah, that was great. And then we go home where those things aren't. I think James is encouraging us uh, to do what Chinese food serving people figured out is a really good thing to do. Send it home with people in these takeout containers, in these little boxes. Yeah, you can go there and you can eat the Chinese food and you can have that experience, but take it with you. Put it in your fridge. Eat it in your car. Eat it at work the next day. Sometimes Chinese food is best the next morning when it's cold. Like, that's part of the image that I wanted you to have literally in your hands. It's an embodied illustration of what James is calling us to do with our faith in Christ. Don't just go experience it where in the place where it usually is and then go back into your life where it isn't, but take it with you. If it's strange for you this morning to go to church where there normally is prayer, there normally is uh, worship, there normally is crosses on the wall and that kind of stuff, but there's not usually Chinese food. There's not usually noodles and boxes and the preacher chomping into the microphone with his bad table manners. It may be strange. In the same way, if we reverse that and we say, all right, this is about taking our faith into our daily lives, putting it into practice, living it out in a way that is, is noticeable, that is, can be seen, that can be demonstrated and noticed by others, it may be uncomfortable at first. It may, if you have that experience, well, I, I've never taken the language of faith into this area of my life before. I've never prayed with this person or with these people or even uh, mentioned my faith in these other areas. It may be a little strange. But that doesn't mean it's not good. It's just something that we need to practice. And I think that's part of having an embodied faith. I have not demonstrated this very well today, but throughout this series, I'm going to try to talk less. <laughs> I'm going to aim for my sermons to be shorter, because if it's a commentary on a commentary on a commentary, I don't know how much more you need to hear someone say, don't slander. You just need to go out and do it. And again, we're limited by the way that we gather. We have a format of a guy speaking and you sitting there and listening, but I want to break down those walls a little bit. Uh, I'm going to try to talk less and I'm going to try to turn it over to you guys to talk to each other more. Uh, and we're going to give you some prompts on ways that we can take what we hear together from the book of James and apply it in our lives. Starting next week, I'm going to do more of that, hey, turn to the people around you. And I'm going to invite you to say, how is this going to play out in my life? How am I going to do this and not just hear this? Because James is about doing. Uh, yeah. So there's going to be more of that starting next week. I want to say, I'm going to give an invitation, and then I'm going to close this out with prayer, and then all those who are able are going to lift the chairs and move them over into the other room. But when we say that this is wisdom literature, we mean on a practical level. We mean we believe that Jesus was God in human form, which means that the creator of the universe, the person with the most information and knowledge 
and wisdom we have access to in Jesus. If Jesus said this is the best way to live our lives, we go, man, I want to know what that is because I bet he, of all the people, know. We seek wisdom in a lot of different places. There's self-help books and we listen to podcasts and we listen to uh, charismatic personalities on the radio and on television and there's just so much wisdom that's floating around out there. But what James reminds us is that the wisdom that comes from heaven comes from God and God's son, Jesus Christ, who says this is the way to have the best life if you'll just trust me, if you'll just follow me. So as we study James... I feel like I need to say, if you don't know that, if you haven't heard before, that this isn't just some wisdom among the other wisdom. I need you to hear that like we believe this is the wisdom. These are the truths that are worth applying in your lives. If you haven't known that, if you haven't understood that, then I want to give an invitation this morning for you to give your life to Jesus. Because that's what Jesus did in his ministry. He said, come and follow me. People are like, I don't understand what you're about. He said, that's okay, come and find out. Once you follow me, once you see my life, you'll learn it as you go. And if you haven't made a commitment to following Jesus, or if you don't know what he's about, then I want to offer that invitation as well. Come and find out. Part of that is saying, I want to follow Jesus, the best wisdom among all the other voices. That includes being baptized, giving your life to Jesus, and saying, hey, this is my new start for living my life in Christ. Lord, we are your people. And we want to do your will. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see more lives transformed because people have discovered the true wisdom, the true best ways to live our lives. God, we don't always do it. We're thankful for the grace that we have, that we can, we can fail. We can find ourselves stuck we can wrestle with our faith and with doubts, and you are right there with us all along the way. Lord, we're so thankful for Jesus and the salvation that we have in him. We're thankful that we have second chances and third chances and more. But we want to honor you with how we live our lives. We want to be uh, the light and the salt that Jesus called us to be and sent us out to be. I'm so thankful for this church full of people who have been doing that for years and years in some cases. My prayer this morning is that you will transform our lives, that you'll transform us individually, that you'll transform us as a church, that you'll break down walls and barriers and uh, ways in which we might be stuck, that you'll take away things that are preventing us from going deeper in you and in, in greater trust in following Jesus. I pray that for myself as well. Give me a greater trust in you and a much smaller trust in myself. Uh, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to live by your spirit. I pray for my friends here. I pray for their faith. I pray for opportunities to share Jesus. I pray for those who are hurting, those who are stuck, and those who, like Greg said, are coming here this morning with just a burden, a reason to believe that it's hard to trust that you are at work when things seem so bleak and uh, situations don't seem to have favorable outcomes. Lord, we just pray that you'll lift us up, you'll carry us through the valleys, the hard times, and that you will remind us of your faithfulness. We pray that you'll increase our faith, increase our trust, uh, lead us in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. That's it. Um,
please help move chairs. I'm going to hang out over here. Come and talk to me. Looking forward to being in James and living out an embodied faith together. That's it.